Welcome to Beautiful Botswana, the travel podcast, where we aim to travel around Botswana and learn about this wonderful safari destination as we chat with experts, safari professionals and safari legends, as we share stories, recommendations and help you plan your Botswana holiday. for my latest episode of Beautiful Botswana, the travel podcast, is somebody who I've known very well for a good many years. We've used, we've worked together uh, in the past. We were close colleagues. We've spent many nights solving all the problems of the world around a campfire, sleeping out in Kudigwa and Saronga together, um, and just generally being being on, on missions together. Mm-hmm. Our children are similarly aged, so we went through that big life change together and celebrate important milestones at the same time. And um, I'm very grateful for the fact that Koki came into my life back in 2012, 2011. Seeing our age, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so joining me today to talk about something that is not core tourism offering in Botswana but sits on the on the edge of um of tourism and invited her specifically to talk about things that are not core tourism but just associated with it so we can broaden the idea of what's available in Botswana away from the standard tourism offerings and so people can understand what is out there she's a 2017 Mandela Washington fellow she's current 2020 National Geographic explorer is the operations director for Wild Bird Trust Botswana. Mm-hmm. And it gives me great pleasure to introduce Koketsu Mokori. Koki, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And it's it's been a long time coming. I'm finally here and I'm so glad that we've made it happen. Um, yeah, you're not an easy person to pin no, down. It no, says a lot about no. how much there is to talk about today. But I'm glad I'm here and thank you so much. I, I, I can't wait. So to start off, Koki, can you give our listeners a brief introduction into your life in Botswana tourism and now conservation circles and how you got to where you are today? Well, I would say that I was born with a passion for the bush. Uh, I was born to a grandfather who was who had who had three daughters and then was blessed with me as a granddaughter, the first grandchild. And so he didn't have boys to go bushwhacking with and guess who was there for him and so I've always enjoyed the outdoors and growing up in Haburone it was very fine my my visits to the bush were far between um but every Christmas my grandfather would take us to Kasani or Shakawe for holiday and I've just loved the water and I've always been attracted to wildlife so when I was 20 and I was in the University of Botswana miserable um I pretty much had an epiphany and decided that I wanted to bushwhack. Literally, that was what I wanted to do because I didn't know that there were camps. I didn't know that there were camp management or anything that to do with um, managing, working in natural resources all the way in Gabs. And a friend of mine, you know, had been working out in the Delta and she suggested that I take a break from university and go and try it out. And I got a job um, immediately after she, she got me connected. And I was hooked and I've been here for 17 years. Um, 
I've learned about the bush. I've learned how to manage to in tourism. I've learned how to operate in tourism, how to um, conserve um, all of these things that have gotten to where I am and to receive the accolades that I have are all because I followed my passion and I stuck to my guns and stayed where I belonged in the middle of the bush. And then where we got to know each other was starting to move slightly away from yes. core management mm. and camp management mm. into social uh, social responsibility work and uh, conservation education programs. So how did you go from that into your current role at Wild Bird Trust? Well, you know, like you said, when we met, we we both you know interested in similarly the exact same thing in in in, in seeing communities benefit and learning and educating. And after working um, with kids uh, and in community for a tour operator for seven years, and it just made more sense to align myself with an organization that was focused mainly on the research side and less on the tourism side, because it was a bit of a contradiction in some terms. I felt like I was contradicting myself sometimes when I'm preaching for the tour operator, but Things aren't quite happening the way it should be. So when I did grab the opportunity or the opportunity presented itself to align myself with an organization that was solely to do with science and research, that for me was a natural step to connect what's happening in the science world, in the natural resource world with education in Botswana and bridging that knowledge gap, which was one of my my concerns was that we weren't producing enough scientists from Botswana. We're not mm-hmm. producing enough young people who are academically inclined and here I am in a position where I work with scientists and it just made sense for me to be that facilitator. And what is Wild Bird Trust in Botswana's background? How, why, what did Wild Bird Trust Botswana come out of and how did it start and, and what's sort of its mission and, and goals in Botswana? Right, the Wild Bird Trust is actually a multinational organization whose chairman is a very good friend of mine and, and former colleague, Dr. Steve Boys. And that, you know, the Wild Bird Trust was incepted by his um, his study of, of, of wetland birds across the Delta. And for about 2010, I'd say, he started doing transits across the Okavango Delta, counting birds, mainly wetland birds. And he, he discovered that as he was doing these counts, the numbers of wetland birds was lessening within Okavango Delta. And that, that piqued his interest to find out what might be happening upstream that could be affecting what's happening downstream. And this grand idea to go up to Angola and, source, and seek out the source lakes was incepted. And... Um, the Okavango Wilderness Project was then um, incepted and, and, and was funded by National Geographic, thankfully. Um, thankfully, Steve had a, a beautiful reputation with National Geographic as a fellow himself. And so it just made sense for them to back his crazy dream. And that crazy dream became um, our flag, flagship project, which to date is one of our most respected and National Geographic's most, most respected projects and has expanded itself to Botswana, Namibia, South Africa, and even the United States. Um, so Botswana Wild Bird Trust is the functioning body for the Okavango Wilderness Project. And so the Okavango Wilderness Project is the first project on there, and my educators project will be the second project under the Botswana Wild Bird Trust. We're hoping to get Steve in at some oh, point yeah. to talk about Angola. I mean, I think for anyone living in Botswana or involved in Botswana tourism, the the term the Angolan Highlands yes. gets thrown around a fair bit, and it would be great if I could get him on board to um 
to try and understand exactly what, what, him up. <laughs> what, the, what the Angolan Highlands means because exactly. um, it's sort of like this one catch-all phrase for where the water comes exactly. from. And at the moment, obviously, this year's floods got a huge amount of attention. And I know Steve has been very generous with the support of this podcast already. So I'm hoping to have him here sooner rather than later to talk about yes. the Okavango Wilderness Project. But let, yeah, let's move on to chatting a little bit more about sure. your educations program and, and what that what that involves and, and where you are and what your goals and mission are for that. And you're the perfect person for us to have this conversation with because you know where the providence of our passion for conservation education comes from. And after spending many years um, working mainly with young children uh, or children in primary schools and, and getting the message of conservation education out, it, it dawned on me that kids will always get it. But their teachers, who are the second most important people in their lives, especially in these rural communities, I mean, apart from their parents, the teachers are so pivotal in these children's lives that if you don't get the buy-in of the educator and support the educator, what generation are we raising? And so I'm even getting goosebumps because when I have this moment of they need love, I come from a long line of teachers. My grandmother was a teacher, my grandfather was a teacher. So it was, I've been trying to run away from the teaching profession for many, many years. And this has definitely caught, caught up with me. And for me, it made, especially during this, these, these stressful times, teachers need as much support to function and to make our kids healthy as possible. So the educator's expedition is my remedy to solving the problem or helping the problem of improving in overall examination results in Ngamiland. For the past 10 years, Ngamiland has been doing the worst in the whole country. Uh, statistics have shown that. Um, and, and, and even the teachers, you know, attest to the fact that it's tough to teach out in these environments without support, without resources. So, you know... And add to that... The fact that for the teachers and in Gummyland posting, it's, yeah. it's law on the ladder. It's not, yeah, it's not considered to be very attractive. So um, uh, part of my um, project is to bring glory back to, to the profession of teaching, to, 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 to combine the resources and what we use to learn. Exploration is an amazing way to learn. Um, we all learn through exploration from the from the day we're born. And so nobody ha doesn't have, everybody in, on this earth has the sense of exploration in them, whether it's just walking in your garden or on the beach or wherever it is. And a lot of the teachers in these, in these areas have lost their sense of exploration, their sense of creativity, their sense of just letting their minds sit free. And so um, my proposal, um, which has been changing as the, the, the pandemic has been changing us, um, is to take these teachers out into wild wild spaces and introduce them introduce them to nature, um, and touch nature and smell nature and connect with nature in a but in in a primal way, mm. uh, in a way that they can use um, we can use both science and especially indigenous knowledge for them to be able to connect back with their students with because there will be nothing more exciting than them going back to the classroom and referring to things that their grandparents or their parents or what they see on a day-to-day -day basis and connect them with lesson plans. And many, and like you said, many of these teachers, uh, you know, a lot of them don't come from these areas. So they, 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 um, they don't associate with the indigenous identity of the area. And for them to identify with the CEI, Mbukushu, Sesara, wherever, whoever, not just learning the language, but being able to know what foods are eaten and, you know, modes of transport, mokoros, you know, these are things that we're going to 
to impart onto these teachers. Um, and you know, so the idea is we're going to start in Maung. Um, we're going to have a, a, a group of five. We're going to host in Maung at Afrobot. Um, because wellness is also going to be a huge part of our exploring, uh, exploration of the Mayan wellness. Um, and also hopefully, you know, the, the we will give, be able to impart them tools that will help them cope with post-corona blues. I mean, if we adults are going through it, imagine what children are going through, you know, the stress of, am I going to make it next year? Am I going to repeat next year? If, you know, parents have lost jobs. There's a lot of, there's a lot going on. And teachers are going to bear the brunt of a lot of that. And so as um, as I am reinventing the explorers expeditions, these are things that I have to factor in. Um, that is not just exploration of, of, of walking around the bush, but it's also an exploration of self um, and, and preparing them to deal with a plethora of emotions. And are you focused on primary teachers or primary teachers? Yes. Primary, primary teachers. Uh, primary teachers because they are the class teacher. They teach all subjects. Mm -hmm. So uh, the exploration will tap into science, into geography, into you know environmental science, into all sorts of things. And they will be provided with a tablet that will be downloaded with offline um, lesson planning, so that and with follow ups going back to the schools and 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 reports. Um, and then a year-end exploration. We're hoping that this will make a, you know, some kind of difference in the way they manage their, te their teaching, manage themselves, manage, you know, however they're gonna deal with what's gonna happen. This is obviously your your newest project yes. that's kicking off now this year, mm -hmm. um, as a result of you receiving your grant. Yes. So the other thing that you've done with communities that is really much about indigenous knowledge is. It's almost like the poster child of Indigenous knowledge is the Makoro. Yes. So you've run the Ngashi Classic. Um, can you talk a little bit about the Ngashi Classic and Absolutely. where it comes from and, um, and where you are in the in the in the journey so far? The Ngashi Classic was actually the brainchild of Dr. Steve Boyce. I think in in the initial sketch or what we had written was regatta and I'm like nobody's gonna understand what a regatta is we have to make and this is there was this is the first time we actually said we need to find an indigenous identity to an event and what is synonymous with Nkashi the Nkashi is the propeller of the Mogoro without the without the Nkashi you can't have a Mogoro and it just, just to just to translate that the Nkashi is the pole yes used by a polar pushing a makoro absolutely and it is a very as you say it is it is almost more valuable yeah. to the polar than the makoro exactly and i know this from when we had the ngashi classic and my polars did not do particularly well they all blamed the ngashi but the makoro the ngashis were too short too skinny yeah. too heavy mm -hmm. So an ngashi is a very Too personal to, thing. Yeah, it is a personal <laughs> thing. And the style. I mean, it, it doesn't get fancier than that. If This is our sport, you know. Every every other sport that has been brought to us is nothing. Botswana's sport is the Mokoro. So um, after many years of trying to get it going, um, we were able to start three years ago to have our first Mokoro. It, it was at the tail end of our, of our transit, our annual transit. Um, so we had we had the team on hand to 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 be to participate in the race, and we essentially invited people around my own local polars. It was uh, we registered. It was the first time we were nervous. We didn't know what we were doing, um. So we tried to keep it only to uh, Maung and, and and to the community in Maung, and it was well received. 
Um, we had pullers from as far as Boro, as far as Takaba, um, who came in to, to, to participate in race. They were treated like kings and queens. We had female pullers um, who, we, I mean, the, the, the winning prize was a, was a Mokoro. Um, it was very, yeah. very competitive. Mm. Mm. This was taken very seriously. Mm. Mm. One of my guys, and I say when I say my guys, they're the, the polars who work for the company I work for and we brought in from Kakaba. Yeah. Uh, one of them came in the top 15 and he was the eldest of my group. And he's still living on that. He's I mean, waiting. When, when the young guns start biting at his heels and giving him a hard time, he just turns around and says, and gosh, classic. classic, it's coming. And they all trust him again. <laughs> But there's lots of excuses about, as I say, the Ngashi is the main reason. They, my guys are quite tall, and they were all blaming the Ngashi yeah. as the reason why they lost. Of course. Or they did not come <laughs> further ahead in the in the race, and they did. But it was a timed race. It was a timed race. It was a timed trial. Um, and the winner, not by design, happens to be one of our team members. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, um but um, anyway, um, but last year, unfortunately, there wasn't any water, but we, we thought that the idea of bringing the community together to learn about the river is still as important as having the river right there, even more so um, during a dry uh, season mm-hmm. to, to, to teach and, and, and educate about the Angolan Highlands. Um, and so last year we had a cultural event with, with art, with poetry, with music, with visual, um, with visual artistry. Um, we had a local theater group, the, the Magic Bean Company come and perform. And it was actually very successful. And um, I'm glad that we did it without the water. And this year, we are definitely going to have an Engashi Classic. We're still in the preliminary planning stage. Yeah, of um, course, there's new regulations that leave everyone a little bit unclear about how you pull something like that together. But I think um, everyone's so excited about the water that you're going to, yeah. you're going to have to plan for a crowd. So you're going to yeah. have to make sure that. No, absolutely. We might have to split it up. And, and that's what, that's what excites me is the, the anything is possible. We can do anything. Um, and we've already got a fan base, uh, which is lovely uh, locally, which has always been our intention is to be, uh, a locally celebrated event. It's lovely to have people from across the country come and celebrate with us, of course. But for me, what my my goal has always been for the people of Mahun to be to have pride from wh- whoever you are, whatever background you're from, and that's what you see when you go to the Gashi Classic. You have people from all walks of life coming to experience something that is so unifying, which is competition. <laughs> you know, sport, sport. Um, there are lots of people who are missing it. With the with the pandemic and yeah, sure. there you go, sport sport brings people together. So yeah, that's that's something that I'm really looking forward to. So that I mean, it will be it will be you know during this planning stage, we'll be able to determine the best time and whether there'll be water after September. The heat, you know, there are lots of factors to factor in. The Okavango Delta is also a very large area with lots of communities. And the last time we actually had a race, it was only one community was represented. So. There are lots of fast pullers in far-reaching places. <laughs> um, and I, I can't wait for 2020's Ngashi Classic, which is going to be grander. Um, we're going to have national broadcasting um, companies on board. And so you've, you've partnered with BTO, Botswana Tourism Organization, yeah. on it. Yes, we have. So it's um it's something that I hope that Botswana will see, say, hey, maybe I should take my family on a holiday, on a Mokoro holiday. Um, and support a local polar and and you know these are things that are all tangible feasible possible and this will highlight 
you know, a profession, a sport, a skill that could have otherwise been overlooked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we can hopefully keep re- keep it alive and revive a sport, a, a culture that, you know, that, that, that could be dying and support a family that could have none, you know, by just going on a day trip on a Mogoro. Obviously, with the Ngashi Classic, it it is a cultural event. You're aiming at the domestic market mm-hmm. with trying to get support. Mm-hmm. Do you see it becoming something that over time would draw international visitors Absolutely. to? Absolutely. That's the plan. Um, with the help of our local fan base. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can only... I can only hope that it will gain that international support once we have gotten our own support, you know, local support system, local suppliers, crafts. And that's how I want to see it. I want people from outside to come and celebrate Botswana, Botswana, you know, everything that it is to do with Okavango Delta, eat food, you know, the crafts, the everything. And it should be something that people say, I'm, you know, I've, I, I'm going to Botswana for Ngashi Classic and then I'm going to go on a safari. Mm, exactly. Yeah, exactly. No, and I think that, you know, there's there's a lot out there. I mean, I'm not going to run short of content in terms of future episodes. There's mm. so much to talk about, about annual events. And, um, you know, it's something Bonte touched briefly mm. on in episode three when mm. I chatted to her about the fact that there are these cultural events. They're hard to get to. You've got, it's hard to know when they're happening. Mm. But I think if the more we talk about them, the more people will become aware of them. And those people who want to travel for cultural experiences yeah. will know that they these are things to travel yeah. for. And then, of course, as you say, it keeps people in mind for a little bit longer. It mm. helps boost our local economy. And and then somebody yeah. coming for something unique like that, it's a good party. Absolutely. It's a very good cultural experience. And from that, you can still go and have a great mm. safari and... Mm. Um, and have a great time Absolutely. so one of the things I also wanted to just ask you today is about your experience when you went to New York as a Mandela um, fellow um, Mandela Washington fellow you were based in New York yes and Staten Island <laughs> and having having grown up in Botswana but then living in the States for a period of time did that change the way you view Botswana it made me proud it made me proud to have a language that not a lot of people know. <laughs> it's it's like people never expected me to, you know, you're from Botswana where? And it's like, but you're so worldly. I'm like, yeah, you can come from a very small place and be very worldly. I, but it, I, w- I was so proud to be a, a Botswana and walk around the streets of New York, Times Square, and just wear it on my sleeve, on my heart. And anybody who was interested, I would just tell, you know. In New York, you can get lost. You can be anybody. Every day I was a different person. You know, I was never, I never ran short of little adventures on my own or with my little friends or, or whatever. And, um, and I, um, it was the perfect timing because I was a new mother. I was loose. I didn't know where I was going in life, the direction, who I am, my career. Um, and I basically went to New York a uh, little kitten and I came back a lioness. <laughs> Pokey, I would never call you a little kitten. So if you've come back fiercer than you were when you went, heaven help the world because you have never been a little kitten. Oh, wow. uh, she's fierce. She's yes. very fierce. Did it just sharpen the passions you already had or did it redirect them? It sharpened them and it made them more clear. I civic work, civic civic service, civil service was never a word that would have used to coin what I do. 
and I was put in the civic civil leadership program. And so things like policy changing and lobbying and, you know, knowing that you can affect change to such levels was something that I never, I just thought I will just, you know, do my thing. in my little corner, woohoo. And knowing that you, that you can have that power and, um, you know, I was and, and rubbing shoulders with people who were doing incredible things in their countries. I felt quite like well, I'm just working with kids, you know, and here people who are changing lives and, and saving lives and, and stuff. And but it was, you know, as, as quick as I was to feel small, it, it was very momentary because it was such a building experience um, that I left so fine tuned in project management in grant writing and like I, I I can now know the the processes of how to get to where I need to go how to interact with governments you know those are things that now I I it's not anything that I can be confused about anymore. is there is there a message out of that that you would want to share with somebody who hasn't had the opportunity to go and experience something like that but is in a similar position to where you were before you went I would say you know there's so many projects out there you know be so many programs out there i should say and if if you're gonna want to you know expand your work and, and get into it one educate yourself you know it is really what you want because it can be very very frustrating have fun make sure it's fun it shouldn't be tedious it shouldn't be a job that oh my god i'm gonna save lives it should be oh my goodness i can't wait and 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 don't Think about the 99% of the people who will roll your eyes. Look at the 1% who will be elated of your contact. And and a lot of people ask, you know, there's a lot of negativity in the world right now. And not everybody's going to be happy to see a happy face or, 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 or positivity. Don't take that personally. Never take that personally because you don't know what that next person is going through. You stick to your guns, continue being solid, um, and the world will catch up with it. So, I mean, my advice is, Find a program that works for you. Find somebody in your life who will call you out and will help you follow up with yourself. Because I am a procrastinator. And that is the one thing that I make sure that I have in my life, people who call me out. Well, that's already great advice. So thanks very much. <laughs> because um, however much this, this podcast is aimed at talking to people who are traveling, mm -hmm. It is very much about people who are passionate about travel. And as we discussed in my episode episode three with Bonti, the opportunities for cultural tourism development in this country are huge. Yeah. There's no um, there's no shortage of opportunities, but there are opportunities out there. I think that's really great advice um, to the young people who are looking for how to get involved in tourism mm -hmm. or how to make tourism work for them. Mm -hmm. And Thank you. Thanks very much for that. Are you ready just to give some Let's different kind it. of advice in our snapshot session? I like it. Obviously, we've spoken about the other side of this of tourism in Botswana this this episode, but I know that you safari very well. Yes. <laughs> that it is definitely a passion, as you said, bushwhacking with your granddad from a young age. And I cannot wait to hear your advice for future safari goers. All right, so the first question, what is your most precious or valued piece of safari equipment and why? Right, my most valued piece of safari equipment is my leather hat, which I've had since I've got my first job in the bush. I actually didn't buy this hat. It was given to, I don't even remember who gave it to me. I think it was a guest. But it's just, it's a rogue hat. It's leather. 
it I look good all the time <laughs> and like it, it stinks but I, I can't live without it and my child will inherit it and life will go on it's a bush chic and bush protecting chic. your skin while yes. you're out there exactly fantastic which one destination would you recommend a first-time visitor visits I would definitely say Tsudilo Hill you know there's the water. I mean, people come for different things, but there's something mystical and spiritual. Um, and I, I, I'm quite sure that a lot of travelers coming back in 2021 are going to come back with a spiritual shift or some kind of mind shift. And I, every time I go to Zodilo, I, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm, I've got Bushman blood flowing through me. I don't know, but there's something serene and comforting about those rocks and knowing that there were people those many years ago doing this incredible stuff. And it just gives me a sense of hope seeing what happened in the past and this, the, 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 the creativity and the genius and the intelligence that is depicted. And it gives me hope for the future. So that's my, for me, that's just, I love that place. Yeah. It's, it really is something, there's something special and not just because it's a hill mm. in Botswana, which is unique <laughs> and individual. It definitely has a really wonderful energy. Um, one resource that everyone coming to Botswana should know about, whether it's a movie, a book, a website, a, we have a decent culinary. I mean, I, I mean, I, yes, I, I would love for us to take Siswa to the next level. You know, everybody's got a cultural, a culinary identity in, in Southern Africa. We don't, you know. And let's just say, Siswa, it's a, it's a dish that's made from beef that is boiled. It sounds, it's hard to describe how good it tastes when you try and describe it this way. But it's a pounded, it's a, it's a boiled beet meat. But what makes Siswa so hard to get right is that it actually takes on away the flavor of the pot it's cooked in mm. and so no batch ever tastes the same yeah. and a, every cook's gonna have their own very unique flavor and mm. style and then it gets slow boiled and then it gets pounded into like a version of like shredded a pulled beef pulled, yeah. pulled beef shredded mm. beef but the flavor is unlike anything mm. available elsewhere and um Yes, it is pretty yeah. special. No, everybody has to. All right, so Seswa, it's a tricky thing to find as a tra- as a traveler. It is. Um, and that, that's the one thing that I wish everybody would leave their homes wishing that they would experience upon arrival is that cultural interaction. You know, where can I get a plate of local food? And there's not enough of that. And um, if there's a more of a demand for it, maybe, hopefully there'll be, you know, we'll have young guys walking around saying, this, this was the first, you know, Post office in Maung, you know, for me, that's a dream. I'd love to see groups of guests walking around Maung, going to like the old mall and getting some tree and like going to the, to the, to the Nghabe Museum and, you know, like. Yeah, promoting the, what is available locally yeah. and not having everyone just fly into yeah. Maung and straight out to the Delta. Yeah. I am, and definitely, it's, it's already on my list. We are definitely going to do an episode about traditional food. Oh, yes. And, um. I, I have to hope Nia agrees to be my guest. Well, that, I mean, I've mentioned her name. Yeah, she'll, so I hope she'll, she'll commit. She'll <laughs> I mean, she's the, she's she's the, the, queen. She's the queen of, yeah. of, of local food, and I'm hoping that we can have an episode sooner rather than later talking about uh, traditional fare because there is a lot to celebrate about yeah. a really good plate yeah. of Seswa. Yeah. All right, we talked about the sunsets earlier, mm. and of course they are a wonderful reason why people come here. 
Um, top sundown or destination or drink or piece of advice to get, right. have you're, a great sunset. You're going to be surprised where my top destination is. The Soronga boat station. Oh, oh that jetty. Oh, yes. <laughs> I love, love, like for me, it's, it's not even about the elephants in the background. or I could have donkeys, cows, whatever. I don't care. But it's it's those papyruses and, you know, the, you know, the floating jetty or whatever. I Every time, I can't miss it. With a margarita. A margarita. I've have you become a margarita person? Have you swung? Yeah. It, that you've had a margarita in Saronga. Yeah. But it's it's it, there's something about being in a village in such a beautiful place. It's just grounding. Yeah. Isolated, and it's that moment of saying I am lucky enough to be here yes. to experience this beauty. Yeah. Even when there's there's no big so yeah. flashy sign saying beautiful spot right no. here. No. Um, so it becomes very hidden and well, I think a sundown when you're on safari tends to feel a little bit expected yeah. and that's the surprise that comes around at the end of the day and a lot of my friends from Khaburuni or you know young Botswana who are in the position to travel they would love an opportunity like Saronga I mean it's yeah. not even about the mom you know the, the really expensive lodges or whatever do not need to have the bags to fly no. you can just and catch the ferry that's a fun experience yeah. That for me is, um, and that's one thing I, I look forward to opening, to exposing to the rest of Botswana to say, you know, there's no need to get your knickers that are not about the really expensive lodges. It's okay, really. Just go across. There's lots, yeah. And that is simple that. time, simple life, people there, simple living, you, the, everybody's at ease. It's like entering heaven. Yeah. All right, last one. If you had a weekend to explore locally, where would you go? Um, I would go with Mababekwai. I love that part of, you know, it's, it's, it's doable one. Um, there are enough affordable camp spots. I'm a camper. I love camping. Um, and maybe that's part of the result of working in luxury camps is that you, you get over the, 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 the frilly stuff and appreciate the down to earth. And so I'm in that space at the moment where I've got a tent, I've got a bedroll now, you know, my daughter's old enough to throw in the back of a car, even if it's just the two of us. Um, so definitely quiet my baby. Um, it doesn't hurt that I've got a little plot there, so check in on there. Um, and borrow, you know, I disappear to the borrow a lot, and I spend a lot of time out there. I've got lots of friends out there, so either I camp out on their, in their field or I go to, to the farm that my parents bought. But there's so many ways to have fun. Yeah, and I think, that, um, I think the one thing that has come out of our chat today is that there is this other side to Botswana, to the luxury high-end stuff. Um, I've spoken to Matt Copham about photographic safaris, mm. and that tends to be focused on the lodges, mm. and, and he spoke about, you know, different environments being flights mm. away from each other. Mm. And that's one view and one way of mm. safariing in Botswana, but it is not the only mm. way. There is no limit to how you can do this, and the idea of... Um, our domestic market and those people who want to just be a little bit more real a bit more raw mm. you've touched on some really great ways for them to experience it mm. from coming to a cultural event like the Ngashi Classic from visiting the Sodilo Hills which is off the beaten track going to Saronga again off the beaten mm. track and there's a there's a lot out there and there are lots of ways of doing Botswana it does not all come in a 10-day fly and fly out safari and I think that that's that's one of the reasons why I've asked you to be here because mm. I knew you'd have a different <laughs> and, uh, 
a different voice and I think that that's really what I'm trying to celebrate with the podcast is the fact that they, the everyone's Botswana's high end mm-hmm. you know low in low volume high in tourism and there's another Botswana out there and, and we rather, can we should celebrate it and encourage people to experience rather it. Rather you know, a, a cooler bag and a nice tent and a nice bedroll and in terms of people trying to reach out to the work you're doing and how to and following what you're doing if people would like to contribute mm-hmm. or contribution towards Wild Bird Trust, is there something specific that they should look for? Is there something specific they well, should go? We have a website, um, the Putsuana Wild Bird Trust, or Wild Bird Trust actually has a website with all of our varying projects underneath. Um, our South African um, sister company has got the Cape Parrot Project. So um, there's a link under that for any donations made there. The Okavango Wilderness Project under the same website has got a link. Linkashi Classic has got a link. And so we're, we're working on our educators' expedition. Okay, so if we send people to your website, they can find information there about how to donate mm-hmm. and how to contribute. Mm-hmm. And of course, just um, keep following the work that you're doing yes, and, um, and, and promote it that way. Uh, thank you so much for coming today, Koki. As, as you mentioned, it, it, this took some organizing. You're a busy woman. Yeah. Um, and I really appreciate the the conversation we've had. I think it it rounds out a lot of what we've I've been talking yeah, about with other people so far and, and hopefully starts leading people to mm. ask some other questions mm. and um and we can keep on talking about Absolutely. what like, the what are the spin-off benefits to tourism in, in Botswana well, and we're focusing obviously with this podcast on northern Botswana but how how tourism yeah. and travellers can facilitate mm. um, improving the lives of everybody in this area. And I mean I can't wait to come back and tell you about um, my educated expeditions after I've had my teachers out there and how that experience and maybe I can bring a teacher along and she can tell you or he can tell you the experience. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, the sky's the limit. And I also look forward to us having a meal of Seswa yes, in your yes, secret. We're have a competition where we're judging. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Thanks. Today. Thanks, Tiz. of Wild Bird Trust. I hope hearing Koki talk about their projects has given you an understanding of how tourism has greater reaching impacts in Botswana. I look forward to seeing who wins the Ngasi Classic this year. There's a lot of rusty Ngashis out there after the drought and I am sure that the competition will be fierce. Thank you for once again taking this step with me. I trust that you're finding the episodes informative. If you are finding them interesting, please follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We also have a Facebook page, Beautiful Botswana, where updates of each episode are launched. It's also a great way to interact with all of you. So please follow along there. As lockdown has ended in Botswana, people are getting busier again. So it is harder to pin people down for episodes. And I'm not quite sure who my next guest will be. But whatever it will be, we'll be talking about celebrating the beauty and the diversity and all that this wonderful country has to offer. Thank you for joining me. Until next time, be safe.